Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church, where you can listen to our past sermons, watch our 4G stories, and learn more about who we are. Let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God today.
Awesome. How's everyone doing this morning? Good, good. Hey, I want to welcome both of our campuses here today. If you're worshiping with us here at Noonan or at our LaGrange campus, I want to say welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today with us. And so uh, we're starting this new series today called That's Crazy. And it's funny because when you start telling people a little bit about what you want to address and talk about, uh, people not only give you their comments, but they also give you their feedback about what they think you're going to talk about. And so uh, I want to set the stage today, okay, because I think coming into this series over the next couple of weeks, it may feel different than anything we've done. We're going to hit this idea of what does it mean to live a different kind of crazy, but we're going to talk about it from four different angles in our life. And let me say this as we start today, okay, this new series, you know, crazy things happening in our world, right? Like what took place Friday afternoon in our world? Like, what's happening today in our world? Like, what happened three weeks in our world? And I don't know about you, it's, I used to think, well, Sean, it just seems crazier because you're just getting older, right? I mean, there's this thought that you have, you know, when you're in your 40s, everything seems crazy. Like, to me, a whole night's sleep seems crazy. You know what I'm talking about? You'd get up in the middle of the night a lot, you know? For some of you, the idea that your children would sleep all night seems crazy, all right? And we're going to be talking about that, but there's so many crazy things that are happening in our world. What I've noticed is as a, as a pastor and as a leader and as, a, as just a Christian, like the world and the Christians are even kind of freaking out. They've kind of gone crazy. And so I, I just want to set the stage before we start today, because some of us are coming in going, man, I hope when I leave, he will tell me who to vote for. I ain't going to do that. I ain't here to tell you who to vote for. In fact, I want to make this statement. I wouldn't even plan on saying it. I just feel like I need to say it out of the bat. Listen, don't pray, dear God, let my candidate win. If you're not willing to pray, dear God, let your kingdom come. Come on. Come on. And so I know, like, even today as I talk, like, some of you are going to be like, bro, he's a little too passionate, right? Like, he's a little too off the stick. And, uh, and I just want to say this to you today. Uh, I'm crazy. Okay? I just want to admit it. I'm crazy. Like ever since Jesus got a hold of me at the age of 17, I have not been normal. And, and I'm okay with that, okay? So if my passion scares you, just realize I'm not just wired up all the time. I've uh, been on a lot of allergy meds this week, um, <clears throat> hanging out in salt spas, trying to get my lungs clear. I'm trusting God for every breath today. And I just want to tell you something. I want to have a different kind of crazy because I don't know how much longer I have left in my life but I want to turn my world upside down with crazy, the right kind of crazy. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is the craziest thing that ever came to this earth, that God loved us so much he would send his only son, Jesus, and that by dying on a cross and coming out of a grave, you and I could have more than a, I hope I make it. We can have hope. And so let me just say this today. I'm not here to speak to you about what I think about a campaign, what I think about this issue, that issue. I'm not here to bash anything. I'm not here to bash anybody. Listen, I don't have to bash anybody. In fact, some of us, when we have these messages, we're like, oh, bro, you called me out. Listen, if you're living by grace, you can't ever be called out because grace so calls you in that you just start living in that and you're like, nothing offends me anymore. I don't have to turn on the television or turn it off to live offended or unoffended. And I don't know about you, but here's what I want for you as your pastor. I want you to have that same kind of crazy. I want you to experience what we're going to talk about today. And so here's what I'm here to do today. I want to speak to you and I want to speak to me. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, he's about to talk to you. 
Okay, just do that. Just say, he's about to talk to you. (laughs) He is. And the truth is this. I'm about to talk to me. Because you and I together are in this community of faith called the church. It's the big C church. It doesn't matter what the label on the side of the building is. It doesn't matter what the size of the building looks like, the size of the congregation, whatever flavor of worship you love or don't love, whatever type of teaching you think is cool. None of that's really going to matter because the type of crazy that the world needs to see in us is something different. And so for the next couple of weeks, and I pray you'll hang with us because if like you walk away today and you go, oh, wow, I wonder what we're going to do next week. It's going to be different every single week because I promise you God's given us some messages that he wants us to tackle at a different way. So I want to start this by saying this today. Everybody lives by faith. Everybody. Everyone in this room is living by some sort of faith. Everybody in this room. In fact, everyone in this room wants to be sure of something. Of that, I am sure. Like all of us, whether it's your financial decisions, whether it's your parenting decisions, whether it's your job, your career, whatever it is that you are placing your faith in, you are hoping that somehow whatever you hook your life up to will pan out. Think about it. Everybody in this room has faith. Everyone in this room has beliefs. Isn't it funny that the thing that we fight over so much in America is everyone else's different beliefs? Everyone in this room has some sort of faith. You're hooking your life up to something. In fact, I want to illustrate this to you because sometimes the things that we put our hope and our faith in are just downright weird. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. His name's Tom Suddy. He lives in Auckland, New Zealand. But in June, when Pokemon Go came out, he decided he was going to quit his job and go play Pokemon Go full time. Now that's crazy. So he goes in, he's a bartender and a barista, and he tells his family, hey, listen, I hope you guys will support me. I'm going to quit my job, and for the next six months to the next year, I'm going to travel all around, and my goal is to get as many of the 150 Pokemon Go's that I can catch. Now, listen, this dude's not 12. (laughs) He's in his mid-20s. And I just thought, now that's crazy. And I also said, that's faith. Because here's what he's saying. Listen, I don't need a paycheck. I need a cell phone, a really good data plan, and some friends to support me, right? Like, that's crazy. And I started thinking about it. It doesn't matter if you're out chasing Pokemon or Pikachu or whatever it is in your life. Every one of us are chasing some sort of faith. Every one of us are chasing something in our life. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 today. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews was a book written to a bunch of Hebrew Christians. By the way, I think that would be a great name for a coffee shop. Hebrews, I'm just saying that. The random things that come to your mind when you're on large amounts of allergy medicine. But the writer of Hebrews, we don't even know who it is. Some people think it was Paul. Some people think it was Luke. Others think it was James. The writer of Hebrews was writing to a bunch of Jewish Christians, and he was trying to help them understand that Jesus is above all, and that we don't have to go back and live according to the law. We don't have to go back to sacrificing goats and bulls and all these other things, but that we can live our life because of who Jesus is, and we can be free in that, and we can live a life that's literally crazy. So in chapter 10... He begins to tell them these things. In fact, in verse 23, he says, hey, don't swerve. 
Hold unswervingly to the faith you profess. Later on in chapter 10, he says, listen, some of you have lost your confidence. You've lost your swagger. You guys ever felt like you've lost your swagger before? Yeah. I, I, you know, I went out and played some pickup football not too long ago. I've lost my swagger. Okay. It doesn't matter how much eligibility I have left. But I think as Christians, sometimes we feel like we've lost our swagger. Like we don't have that confidence that we once had the day that we gave our life to Christ and we walked away from the altar and said, Jesus, you're my everything and I wanna follow you with my life. And maybe for a season you were just walking in confidence, but I don't know about you, the longer we live in this world, this world has a way of eroding our confidence. But he looks at them and he says, I don't want you to lose your confidence. In fact, I wanna help you regain your swagger. And he tells them in the latter part of chapter 10, the only way to do that is to make sure that these things are true about your life. And then in chapter 11, he turns the corner and he shows us a picture that I just think is crazy. And I wanna talk about it today. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse one. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The writer here is telling us about the dynamics of faith. He's saying, this is how faith works. Like if you have faith in anything, in something, it is the hope for, it is the assurance about what you do not see. And when I read that, here's what I realize: Everybody wants hope. Everybody's looking for hope. In fact, we said it during our Represent series in July, but we basically said we As believers and followers of Jesus, we ought to be dealers of hope. We ought to be the ones that the world is looking at going, that's a hope dealer right there. Like, I get that. Everybody wants hope. Everyone has a belief that you've invested hope in. Think about it. Whatever it is you believe here today. You may be here today and you're not even a Christ follower yet. And I just want to say, keep coming over the next four weeks because you're going to learn something about people who call themselves Christians you've never known before. You're going to realize that we're flawed, we're messed up, but we're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and we've been transformed by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And we may be screwed up at times. (laughs) Oh man, but we've got a savior who has set us free. And so I don't really care if you say, boo, dude, you're outer flesh. Like, it's like, I I get that. But I want you to see what's inside of us over the next four weeks. So you keep hanging around, okay? Every belief you have is invested in a hope. How do I know this? Here's how I know every belief you have is invested in a hope. Because in your life and in my life, we continue to ask the question, why? 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 Parents, raise your hands here today. This is Kids Day. By the way, I want to give a big shout out to all of our kids leaders today. Come on, give it up for all our kids leaders. They are pumping voluminous amounts of sugar in your kids right now. And faith in your kids right now. But let me tell you this, man. If you have a child between the ages of 10 and 2, this idea that you ask why, get this, between the ages of 10 and 2, your child will ask you wife over 45,000 times. Don't do that to your little sister. Why? Don't set that on fire. Why? Don't hit him like that. Why? Don't choke her. Why? 45,000 times. Listen, they start early. 
Between the ages of two and 10, we were wired to ask why. Why? Because whatever we believe we put our hope in, we want to know why it's true. We want to know why it's existing. And so the writer here says, now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. And so if it's true, we're asking that, then here's what's also true. You and I will never meet a irreligious person. If everybody has a system of faith and everyone has something they're hoping for and they're hoping that whatever they hitch it to will actually deliver, then the truth is there's really no such thing as an irreligious person because everybody has a religion. In fact, the idea that you have no religion is a religion in and of itself. Did you realize that? It's almost like this. It's like there's no such thing as a faithless person. The idea that no one has faith, faithlessness itself is a commitment to faith. Think about it. So the writer says it's this confidence. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. I think the person in this room that may have the greatest faith might be an atheist who says, I don't believe God exists. And you're putting all your faith in the idea that God doesn't really exist. But I want to say to you today, that's the dynamic of faith. But here's what he says is important about this. And it's the assurance about what we do not see. It's the assurance about it. Assurance here in this this passage, the word means confidence or a perception of something. It literally means a lens that we begin to see the world through. And here's why this is important. What I put my hope in, I put the glasses of on and interpret my world through it. Listen to that statement. What I put my hope in, I put on the glasses of and interpret the world through it. So this idea that we have some system of faith that every day we get up, and here's what that means. We begin to view the seen world through the unseen. We begin to see it differently because we're no longer looking through our eyes. Suddenly we're looking through our hearts, right? I mean, you and I, whether you realize it or not, we wake up a theologian, a philosopher, and an archaeologist every day. And for some of us in this room, we're like, man, I wish I could believe in God like that. You put on the lens every day. We put on the lens every day. So I want to make this statement because it's key to what we're going to talk about the next couple of weeks. Christians are not different because they have faith. Christians are different because of the object of their faith. See, I've been in the South long enough. We have all these sayings, right? Like, bless your heart. We put it on plaques. I was at an antique store the other day. I saw like 10 different like Southern quotes. And I see this quote all the time, have faith. But have faith in what? Is it just enough to have faith? Because then it's just about how much more can I believe in something and there it must eventually be true. But the writer says, no, that's not what this is about. Christians are not different because they have faith. Christians are different because of the object of their faith. Faith is only as good as the object. And it's salvation. Here's the cool thing. When I gave my life to Jesus, I shifted all of my faith from myself to a God who said he loved me. Faith is only as good as its object. And then in verse two, he says, this is what the ancients were commended for. So he starts telling us about all these Old Testament people. And he says, they weren't commended because they had faith. They were commended because they put the object of their faith on who God was. And you can look in the Old Testament. It's so crazy. These people were radically believing God. Like 
They literally took up every stake, every stone, like everywhere they went. They just, they left places and they left homes and they were burned at the stake. Why? Because they were commended for their faith. And then in verse three, it says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. I just want to say this. We read over that sometimes, but I just want to say that's crazy. Here's what's crazy. It's crazy to believe that God created everything that you and I see. You say, no, it's not. My mama taught me to believe that. Here's why it's crazy. It's not crazy that it's there and it exists. It's crazy because the writer says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at what? God's command. Like God just spoke. So that what is seen was made out of what is visible or what what was made out of what was visible. God created the whole world. You know why that's tough for so many people? Because if God created the world, that means that you and I are not at the center of it. You may be dating someone here today, both of our campuses, and you go, oh, they are at the center of the universe. She is so good looking. He is such a man. What a man, what a fine, fine man. <laughs> Listen, I hate to burst the bubble. He's not at the center of the universe. God is. And the Bible says God literally spoke and he created something out of nothing. Now I started thinking about this. God had no raw materials. We got any cooks here today? You can take like all these materials and make something like really, really good that someone would want to eat. Okay. You at least start with raw materials. The Bible says God didn't even start with a raw material. Like he just spoke. Rockies. Boom. There they are. Right? I mean, oceans. Boom. There. He just spoke it. That's crazy. Here's, here's why that's crazy. Have you ever tried to say something and just make it happen? Like some of you were watching a football game yesterday. And you tried to guide that touchdown. (laughs) Leap, leap, run, run, dodge, dodge, kick, kick, block, block. And you're literally, your wife is sitting there going, that's crazy. Your dog is sitting there going, that's crazy. But you actually think somehow if I talk loud enough to the television, that field goal kick might actually get through those two yellow posts. Listen. Have you ever spoke something and it just came into existence? Me neither. But the Bible says here, God did. And then he says in verse six, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Everybody say impossible. Impossible. All right, so if something's impossible, then that means with something, something is what? Possible. He says it's impossible to please God without faith. And here's why. He says, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See the object of the faith there? See, here's our struggle. Here's our struggle with this whole idea of trusting God and believing God no matter what in the world is going on in our world. Here's our struggle. We are all on a relentless pursuit of safe. Safe. He's safe. She's safe. My children, I I built them a house. They're, They're safe. We got child locks on our cars. My children are safe. I got a nest egg for my kids. 
They're going to waste it after I'm gone, but they're safe. See, that's our struggle with faith because faith isn't safe. And here in this moment, he says, the idea that you realize the only way you can ever truly please God is by believing him and trusting him. See, here's why we struggle with our relentless pursuit of safe. We all want our assurances, don't we? What are the percentages of me failing? We all want our safety net. And then, I don't know if you struggle like I do with this, we all want control. Like, I know that there's like, like you know, NA, Narcotics Anonymous, and, and there's Celebrate Recovery. I wanna start a group called Celebrate Control. Because most of us, that's really what we want. We just want control. Listen, some of us, that's why we're so messed up by what's going on in the political environment. We feel like we have no control. I just want to remind you, if you're an American in this room, you have all the control you want in your pocket. When you go on November the 8th, you get one vote, and so does every other person in this country we call the United States of America. You're blessed. We want our assurances, our safety, and our control. And then we want our government the way we want it, don't we? Last time I saw, the Bible says the government would be on Jesus' shoulders. I think it says that in Isaiah. (laughs) That means it's not on mine, and thank God it's not on yours. Okay, I told my son the other day, I said, Kyle, if you ran for president, I would vote for you twice. (laughs) He said, Dad, I wouldn't vote for me. (laughs) At least I've raised an honest child. We want our candidate. We want our political view. We want control. See, this idea of of faith is so difficult because we're all in this relentless pursuit of safe and safe says, I must control every single outcome. God says, no, mm -mm. I control every single outcome. What's funny is he gets to this point and here's why we're talking about this today. Going down to verse 13, we're gonna look at this real quick and wrap this thought up today. He's talking about all these people who begin to live by faith. And then in verse 13, he says this. He says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. I don't know if you realize this, but the person that you're sitting by, they're a foreigner on this planet. He said, I always knew they were alien." That's what they said. He said, these people realize we don't belong here. Verse 14, people say such things, show that they're looking for a country of their own, but if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have uh, never, or they would have had the opportunity to, to return. And then verse 16, instead they were longing for a better country, a better country. They were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Here's the part about this that just really gets me, okay? Because I want to speak to us as a generation. I believe these next four messages could literally change generations. I believe the word of God is that powerful. These people, it says in verse 13, died believing God. They realized, I don't belong here. This is only my temporary stop. Like I'm only here for a little while, 
Because when this life is over, there is something more of which that I was really made for. Like I'm only made for this for a moment. He says, they died believing God. And here's why I think that's so important. Listen, parents, grandparents, you will either die believing God or you will die leaving him. I talk to so many people that say, I'm just done with faith. I'm just done with God. And the one that just really hurts me is they say, I'm just done with the church. I'm just going to have my own faith. Listen, that is an unbelieving lie. God wants you to believe him. He died for the church of Jesus Christ. And listen, according to what Jesus said, the gates of hell don't stand a chance. We ain't on the defense. We on the offense. So he says they died believing God. You see, when you realize that, you realize that this little life that you and I have, we get so hurt and offended by the wrong things. Because the one thing we ought to focus on is dying and leaving a legacy that our children and say, my dad believed God. My mom, to the time she took her last breath, she was talking to Jesus. My, my brother, to the day that he died in the car accident, he was telling others about Christ. That's what we ought to live for. But instead, what we do is we allow all of the crazy things of this world to steal the life that we're trying to hold on to. I like Todd White. He's, he's a, a famous speaker, evangelist. He says these words. He says, the only thing that people can do to hurt you is to hurt the life you're holding on to. That's powerful, man. The only thing that people can do to hurt you is to hurt the life that you and I are trying to hold on to. Listen, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Jesus who lives in me. And now this life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's Galatians 2.20. That's it, man. The only thing that someone can do to hurt you is to hurt the life that you and I are trying to hold on to. Too bad for us. If we believe that somehow a political party or a candidate or a government or an amendment or even a social movement can make us feel safe. The Bible says they were looking for a better country. Have you ever thought about this? I know this may rub some of you wrong because depending on how you were raised, maybe you were raised to think about America differently, but have you ever thought about how we could even make a, an idol of America? mean you're not going to bow at the national anthem? Listen, I'm going to bow at the name of Jesus. There's only one name worth kneeling down for, and he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Okay? But I just want to say, we've got this ideal about this old America that somehow we inherited, and we're like this. If it doesn't look the way that I thought it should have looked 30 years ago, God's sending us to hell in a handbasket. No, he's not. He's bringing heaven to earth through us as Christians. Some of you guys lost his ever-loving mind. They were looking for a country, for a better country, a heavenly one. Listen, I'm all for America. I want to see America succeed. I want to see us do great things. 
But I want to be real clear. I want to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You look at this list, and it's crazy. Just look in your Bible real quick. Of all these people, he goes through all these names. He goes from Abel to Enoch. Enoch walked with God, and then he was just like gone, like poof. I mean, that's a great Tuesday right there, right? Like on April 14th, right before taxes are due, God just takes you out. (laughs) Stick it to the IRS. (laughs) Noah, he builds an ark. He believes God. Abraham, he leaves everything he knows. Sarah, she's old. Everyone say it. She's old. God says, you're pregnant. Why? Because God had promised her a long time ago. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your circumstances say. If I promised it to you, it's yours. You go possess the promise. Isaac, Jacob. Now, I love this. Verse 21 of Hebrews 11. He talks about Jacob. You know what Jacob did before he died? How many of you guys here are over 50? Raise your hand. Over 50 crowd, okay? I'm going to pick on you for just a second, okay? Because I love you. Because you guys are world changers. But I want to talk to you about something. Jacob says he was old. He's so old that all he's got left is an opportunity to do two things. Bless his children. He blesses Joseph's children, verse 21. And then the Bible says he hunches over his stick and he worships God until he dies. (laughs) I just find that's awesome because here's a guy that could have literally said, I'm peacing out here. Like I'm selling it all, moving to the lake house, don't care about God anymore, don't care about life. I'm just gonna die watching Fox News or whatever it is you're gonna do. But he's leaning over his staff and he's blessing the children and he's worshiping God. (laughs) That's a retirement plan. Oh, it gets better because you guys that are younger, I won't pick on you real quick. How many young parents we got here? Right? Don't isn't that what we want for our kids? Great experiences? Oh man, I want my kids to have the best. The Bible says that Moses' parents believed God so much they hid him in the reeds of the water. They had a decision. We believe God has more for him. So instead of just letting him grow up in rich Egypt and become all like the other Egyptian kids shopping at the Gap, (laughs) we're going to stick him in the water and believe God. And our friends are going to think we're crazy. You did what to your kid? You put him in the the river? Call defects. But they believe God. You know what the Bible says about Moses? Go to verse 26. It says, when Moses grew up, you know what it says? It says, he denied all the riches of Egypt and he was willing to suffer reproach for the sake of Christ. Listen, parents, you want to raise spiritual champions? Sometimes you just got to set your kids aside. God's got something better for them. God's got something bigger for them. Don't you dare let this culture tell you how to raise your kids. You let God's word tell you how to raise your kids. They faced trials. Look at 32 through 37. They were persecuted. They were sawed in half. They experienced miracles. It actually said some people got their their loved ones back who were dead. Like, that's pretty cool. That's a great Thursday, right? They overthrew kingdoms and governments. I thought that's funny because I see most of our world, and here's what we're doing. Oh, if the government, oh. Listen, guys, (laughs) the government, God's got it all. Verse 38, it even says they were so radical in their faith that the world wasn't even worthy of them. I want to live that type of life. Hey, what was she like? Oh, she was great, but this world wasn't worthy of her. But what set them apart wasn't what they did, but who they trusted. 
Here's why we need this. We're going to close. Look at verse 39 and 40. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised since God had planned something better for us. So that only together with us would they be made perfect. Everyone say something better. Say something better. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. These people died believing God, not leaving God. They saw with eyes of faith because they knew God was faithful and to his promise, always, always, always. But he said when these people died, they hadn't received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us. Here's what that tells me. We are in a place and a time and a moment in history where we have a seat that is worth millions of dollars. In fact, have you considered lately the seat that you and I are sitting in? What these people never saw? They never saw Jesus come. They never saw Jesus die. They never knew about the resurrection. They didn't know about Acts 2 and the Holy Spirit coming and invading this earth and dwelling inside believers. They never got to see any of that. But you and I, here's where we fit into this story. Because here's what we do. We take Hebrews 11 and we go, oh, that's the hall of faith. Those are people who really believed God. No, verse 39 and 40 is your opportunity and my opportunity to jump into that story. He's prepared something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Our faith can't be shaken by this world, and here's why. Because we have a vantage point. We know that Jesus came. We know that Jesus died. It's no coincidence that in the next chapter, the Hebrew writer looks at them and he says, because of all these things are true, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our what? Faith. (laughs) It's not about having just faith. It's about the object of my faith being in the right moment, in the right place, and all in God and all in Jesus. And then he says, Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. And how powerful that is because in Ephesians 2.89, Paul said to the church at Ephesus, he says, it's by grace you've been saved through what? Faith. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's the gift of God. What does that mean? That faith is a gift of God's grace. You're in here and you're like, Sean, I'm just living in the grace of God. Then, man, it's time to one-up your faith. If God's grace is so amazing and we sing it, I was blind and now I see, right? Like we just sang blessed assurance in this room. If we really got blessed assurance, it's time for us to, to let our faith rise to the level of God's grace. Because I've been saved by grace through faith. So I want to give you something to hang your hat on as we close today. I want to remind you of this. Jesus never came to this earth to take sides. Jesus came to take over. Oh, Sean, that's so wounding, man. Because I want to wear red. I want to wear blue. I want to have an elephant. I want to have a donkey. I, I want to believe that somehow I got the right side and you're on the wrong side. Listen, Aren't you tired of people going and slamming each other online? I'm just done with it. Jesus didn't come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. 
He came to bring God's kingdom to this earth. And here we are at this vantage point and we have this opportunity and our vantage point, all it really does is declare the victory that we already have. In fact, I want to say it this way. Jesus didn't have to draw a line in the sand. Isn't that what people are doing? Hey, here's my line. You get on my beliefs. No, here's why Jesus didn't have to draw a line in the sand. You know why? Because he put a cross in the ground. Man, that's pretty good preaching, Sean. I'm just going to tell you right there. Some of us are more concerned about putting a line in the sand instead of showing people where Jesus put the cross in the ground. Come on, folks. Listen, we don't represent a party. We represent a king and a kingdom. And that king has already won and he sent his Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit has dominion on this earth. And I just want to say this, it doesn't matter what news source says or what political party does, God is in control. Jesus told his followers, he says, hey guys, you need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is upon you. He said, you need to change your thinking. Why? Because God's kingdom is upon you. The Spirit's here, like he's gonna come and he's gonna reign on this earth. And here's the thing, it's time for us to quit operating in crazy fear and start operating in crazy faith. So I wanna ask you to consider something today. Are you willing to live a different kind of crazy? I already told the Lord this morning, Lord, with every breath you give me, I wanna be crazy. I don't want to be common. I just don't want to fit in. I don't even care about the popular vote. But when I die, I want people to write on my tomb, that dude was crazy. He died believing God, not leaving God. And I want to ask you at Southcrest, both campuses to join me in that call today. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. Remember, you can find more sermons just like this one on our website at southcrest.church. If you have any questions about our church, email us at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.